Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 100 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week we're speaking with radio legend Dennis Prager. He's the driving force behind No Safe Spaces, an upcoming documentary about the fight for free speech on campuses nationwide. It could be the most important movie you see in 2019, really. This week's show is sponsored by Speakeasy Ideas. Here's a message for homeschooling families from Dr. Thomas Cranowitter, president of Speakeasy Ideas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from being lost, depending in large measure on how free citizens educate their kids. And while we have no shortage of problems in our modern U.S., the future is brighter, more hopeful due to the good work to which you've dedicated yourself, teaching your children. Speakeasy Ideas wants to be your partner for homeschooling civic education. That's why we've introduced a new online civics course complete with curriculum. It's called The Political Science of the American Founding. This course will help your student become prepared for the rights and duties of being a citizen by learning the political science behind the great American experiment in constitutional self-government. The political science of the American founding is the result of Dr. Cranowitter's own scholarly research and writing combined with years of experience teaching American government at Claremont McKenna College, Hillsdale College, and George Mason University. The materials included in the course have been selected, arranged, and packaged to supplement all kinds of curricula. You can easily modify these materials to be used for many learning levels, ranging from young students to high schoolers. To learn more about the new online civics class for homeschoolers, I invite you to go to speakeasyideas.com homeschool. That's speakeasyideas.com homeschool. And congratulations on your homeschooling children. Thank you again for your good work and your interest in a sound civic education. Well, it's episode 100. It <laughs> really went pretty fast. So I want to share some lessons I've learned along the way. Well, here's one. It's amazingly cheap to make a podcast, and simple too, in a way. I did have a friend who helped me out with some of the nuts and bolts of it, but man, I thought about this for years and didn't realize how simple it could be. Now, the equipment I use, it's pretty bare bones, but it's really all you need. So anyone out there who's thinking about doing a podcast, don't hesitate. Just try. It is fun and uh it's not going to make you uh, run to the bank for a loan. It's pretty inexpensive. And the software behind it, the stuff that edits the material together and does a couple other nips and tucks, it's even cheaper. What a time to be alive, man. Having said that, well, almost every week there's a little technical glitch, uh, uh, something that goes wrong. It could be very minor or it could be more significant. I was really looking forward to one guest on the show. And when I interviewed him, we had a great conversation. Then I went and checked and none of it recorded. That's only happened once, but gosh, it really, really stung. And I felt terrible when I had to go back to this fellow and say, hey, thank you for your time, but there's nothing to show for it. He was a good sport, but I hope to have him back on the air soon. But it really humbles you, you know, so as good as podcasting could be and as amazing as it is, it's not perfect. Another lesson I've learned along the way, well, you know, conservatives have to fight the culture wars on a number of fronts. Do you crush it on Twitter? Well, that's great, but... Why don't you try starting a YouTube channel or a podcast or a blog? Conservatives can't just thrive on one platform. We've learned that the hard way these days. Sometimes the platforms just go away and you never quite know why. This week, someone got deplatformed briefly on Twitter 
because they shared a Brussels sprouts recipe mixed with a silly little joke. Well, that was enough for a 12-hour ban. That's what we're dealing with in the culture today. Don't be on just one platform. Spread yourself around. Of course, pick the platforms that work the best for you, that make the most sense, and where your voice can be heard the loudest. But still, just don't stick with one. Another lesson, help out your fellow conservatives. My golly, we all need to put our modest disagreements aside on the right and work as a team. You know, I remember when Obamacare was on the edge of not being being the law and the Democrats rallied to get it passed. They did every trick in the book to make sure it became a reality, and it was. And guess what? That uniformity is not common on the right, and it's a shame. You may disagree with a conservative pundit here or there. You may have some bigger differences as well. But at the end of the day, he or she is a valuable asset in the fight against the left. And by the left, I mean the Dennis Prager definition of the left. He talks about liberals and leftists. Liberals are people who may disagree with us on politics, but they're open-minded, they're fair, they're decent people, and they want to do what's right for the country. They just have a different idea of how it goes, how it go about it. Leftists, they want destruction, and uh, they're the ones we need to fight. Now, Dennis is going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I just want to let listeners know that the HitCast is going to keep on fighting the left in 2019, and I hope you'll be there to join me. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Here's the hit tweet of the week. Wanda Sykes is a professional wisecracker, a very funny stand-up comedian. She's been working for years, and she often does some really funny stuff with voiceover work. She pops up in a lot of animated movies. You can tell it's her right away. She's not doing a character, just doing Wanda Sykes, but often that's more than good enough. But like too many Trump derangement syndrome victims... She's lost some of her humor in 20, since, since 2016. Need proof? Well, here you go. Here's a tweet she uttered in response to a new congresswoman cursing out the current commander-in-chief. She's wrong for calling Trump a mother effer. He's a lying mother effer. You know, Hollywood really hates Trump's coarse rhetoric, maybe because it's not nearly as coarse as their own. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. I'm thrilled to add another fresh voice to the HitCast this week. You know, for years I worked alongside Jim Lakely at the Washington Times. Now he's the director of communications for the Heartland Institute. But he's also a pretty keen pop culture observer, and we check in from time to time on certain topics, observations on movies, the culture, you name it. But most recently, he was weighing in on the movie The Incredibles 2. He is not a fan. And I thought the reasons why he is not a fan spoke to the larger cultural issues. And more specifically, I think a lot of conservatives gave the movie a pass on a set number of levels. I think I did, too. So here's Jim's take on why this film is not just overrated. It's an affront to one of the best superhero movies of all time. Hope you enjoy my chat with Jim Lakely. Well, Jim, thanks for joining the show. Now, uh, we reached out on social media and uh, via email, and you had a bone to pick with a movie that I think a lot of people loved. Big box office, 
possible Oscar nominations for Incredibles 2, the sequel that took forever to get here but finally arrived earlier this year. People love it, right? What what happened with your with your take on the film? What what, what was your bone to pick? Because I I think you and I have some overlap here as far as uh, problems with the movie. Well, yeah, I'm so glad to be on your podcast finally, uh, Christian, old friend. Uh, but I am here to convince you and your listeners that The Incredibles two ruined the magic of the original, um, and it's because it couldn't, for the most part, hide its woke agenda. It just took me out of the story. And that's a shame. That happens quite a bit these days, which is really frustrating. And and I think I'm like you in that I think The Incredibles is a darn near perfect movie. And I, I don't use that term often, but it's such a good film. It holds up to repeated viewings. It's funny. The action set pieces are spectacular. And it was original. And uh, so let's let's jump into the new film. What, what uh, kind of uh, stuck in your craw right away? Well, I mean, gosh, I mean, where, almost where to begin. I mean, when it started, the uh, you know, as the plot was starting to move forward, we watched it on. I didn't see it in the theaters. I only saw it recently on uh, on pay per view at home. And as the movie was beginning and the dialogue is going forth, I, my wife and I would just look at each other silently and then look back at the screen with knowing looks, like, uh oh, uh oh, what's what's going to happen here? And really, it starts at the start, I think, because I think it it hit a false note. Uh, spoiler alerts, everybody! And I don't think uh, spoilers are not don't count if you can see it. Um, if you can pay for it on your home TV, so that's right. You've been you've been warned. But you know, right at the start, the movie hits a false note because uh, Bob. Um, Mr. Incredible is jealous that his wife, Helen, or Elastigirl, is being picked by this company called DevTech uh, to basically start a big um, PR rehab project for the supers. Um, uh, and, you know, Bob is jealous. Now, he's a good man. In fact, he's very proud of his wife. And he's all about family. And they spend the first half an hour establishing the fact that Bob is jealous that this company would pick her over him. Um, it doesn't make any sense. It really betrays the great character that they created in, as you said, Christian, an almost perfect film, the original Incredibles, with great messages about family and uh, and honor and honesty. Um, just a fantastic film. And it takes away from that in the way it, it portrays Bob, I think, falsely. Interesting note about the film, actually both of these movies, is that the time period is a bit fuzzy. I feel like there are sort of newer elements that you can point to and say, oh, maybe this is a more modern film. Then it has mm -hmm. a bit of a 50s retro look at times. And I thought of that with this element that I didn't really appreciate. It just felt like a kind of a cliche, almost like a hacky kind of a comic note, was that Bob is the stumbling, bumbling father when yeah. he's asked to take care of the kid. Now, the kid himself has superpowers. They're evolving. We get that. But it definitely felt like one of those sitcoms where, oh, my gosh, dad's got to take care of the kids. He doesn't know how to do this. Kind of almost right. harkening back to Mr. Mom. Did that Did that bother you as well? Uh, I mean, it. I mean, it didn't bother me. I mean, if and again, if if I'm if I'm upset about wokeness in films, I'd never watch films. I mean, you can't, <laughs> as a conservative, you there's a certain tolerance level that you have. But there's something special about The Incredibles, and I, I don't even, I don't even want to call it a franchise because I almost want to pretend this film didn't happen. But when you when The Incredibles is so beloved, I must have I must have watched this film at least a dozen times. Every time I see it on cable, I'll pretty much stop and see where they're at in the story because it's such a perfect, fantastic film in so many ways. But yeah. I mean, that's just a sitcom cliche. They couldn't come up with anything better than that. We've waited more than a decade for a sequel to one of the great movies of the last uh, 20 years. And their, you know, their narrative uh, hook here is that Bob is a bumbling, stumbling Mr. Mom type uh, guy at home and can't take care of the kids. I will say, though, that it was actually that part of the film that had me stop 
looking at my wife with a, a look of puzzlement and worry uh, because the uh, the character of Jack-Jack, the, the little baby, as the ear discovering that he has all sorts of superpowers or that he's, you know, as a baby, all sorts of things start coming out. It's very funny, uh, very creative and very endearing and sweet. And in fact, there is a part in the film where um, uh, where Bob goes to Edna, of course, one of the great, uh, great characters of the original film, Edna Mode, who designs the uh, the costumes for the supers. Um, and she, of course, is an artiste. She's a she's a fashion designer and she has no time for children, but she is ultimately charmed. But especially because Jack has all these weird superpowers mm. and uh, that gets her interest. And then she opens up to love this child. I thought that was very sweet. So once we get to Jack, Jack and the and the cliche, Mr. Mom sitcom cliche with Bob, it actually the, the movie started to improve a little bit. But there were still problems. Yeah. Uh, before we get to them, I just want to mention, I, you know, even if I had liked this movie more than I did, I kind of wish it didn't exist. And not for the reason you mentioned. I just think that certain films should just be themselves. I, I think of Elf as a great example where I yes. believe I've read that Will Ferrell said he resisted making a sequel. And it's maybe the best career decision he's ever made. Not yeah. because it wouldn't make money. It would make a ton of money. But that mm -hmm. film exists perfectly on its own. And any kind of sequel, even a good sequel, would somehow, I don't want to say tarnish, but it wouldn't, the luster would, would fade a bit. And I think that's what's happening with The Incredibles here. Because it just, oh, it doesn't need to be a franchise. It could be a one and done. And I think as a culture, I wish we would do that. Uh, let's, let's, it seems like you have other things to say about the film. So let's go, <laughs> let's, let's go there. Before, well, I, okay. <laughs> well, by the way, I did read somewhere that just recently that um, Will Ferrell turned down twenty million dollars to do a, a sequel to Elf, and so not even twenty million could have him ruin the first. So I, that's a, listen, that's that's a heroic effort. I, I got to give him a lot of credit because having a twenty million dollar check in your face that's not easy to turn away, even if you are wealthy. Yeah, definitely. No, so, so, and again, you know, there's more wokeness here present in the villain, which is which is Evelyn. Now, again, this is not exactly a spoiler. Um, you know, DevTech is this company that again is it's trying to rehab the the image of the supers and have the public and the government have the public embrace them and the government no longer outlaw them. And you can tell from the first twenty seconds that Evelyn is the villain of the film, uh, even though they try to hide it. Um, it, it was either that or she and her brother who owns the company, either the, the sweet brother, the sweet, naive brother who loves the supers was the secret villain. And then she and Elastigirl would team up to take him down. But that was only maybe <laughs> one of the things it was definitely that Evelyn was the, um, was the villain and that's fine, you know, and I think that's, that's terrific, except her motivation was garbage, complete garbage. You know, in the first film, you know, Syndrome, his motivation made a lot of sense. You know, Mr. Incredible rejected me as a child and he turned that childhood rejection into an obsession uh, to make the supers irrelevant by giving mortals like him the ability to be super. And in fact, that uh, that motivation by Syndrome was, was, I guess, previewed or foreshadowed in one of the, I think, one of the best little bits of dialogue in a movie in the last 20 years. And that was when uh, Dash is upset that he can't go out for sports. Um, and he says to, and he's being driven home and he says to mom, but dad, you know, dad always said our powers are nothing to be ashamed of that. Our powers made us special. And his mother says, everyone's special Dash. And he says, which is another way of saying no one is. That was a truly subversive line that really just cut the knees out from under the everybody gets a trophy culture in this country. It was an amazing thing to see in a film in the 21st century. And so, you know, that motivation for Syndrome made sense. What was um, Evelyn's motivation? Well, her, her parents were murdered by um, burglars because instead of calling the cops, 
um, he called, he tried to call the supers and they were outlawed and they never came. So his parent, her parents died. How the heck is that a fault of the supers? <laughs> Why didn't you tell your parents to get a, um, I wouldn't say this, but how about your parents get a gun so they can protect themselves and not wait for the, uh, the police to come. And really would the police have come any faster than the supers? I would think the supers would get there even faster. The motivation is garbage. It doesn't make any logical sense. And you can see it coming from four miles away. Um, Oh, gosh, I wish this movie was so much better. And it actually it has tainted the original for me because I did see it flipping around during the holidays and I did not stop because I'm not over the fact that Incredibles 2 has really tarnished the legacy of a classic original. Well, here's the problem you're pointing to is this whole woke storytelling storytelling culture. It isn't just I disagree with it or you disagree with it. It interrupts the movie. It doesn't make mm-hmm. narrative sense. It's not organic. It's shoving a message or a thought process into the story where it doesn't have a comfortable fit. And I think as a viewer, even if you can't pinpoint the problem, you can sense it, you can smell it. And that's that's just wrong. And I, I, I think it'll be fascinating to look, you know, look back at the films made today in ten or twenty years and mm-hmm. really see the patterns emerging and to see where the flaws are and to see where the filmmakers had to kind of put their thumb on the scale and make sure you knew that there was a message being sent. And by golly, I, I think these movies are going to be worse for that. And I think it's going to, I think, you know, it's one of the reasons why the 80s movies are so beloved at this point because they didn't have that hanging over them. It was about the entertainment and it was kind of putting on a show. And I think that's becoming more and more rare. It's obviously still happens. They still make great movies and TV shows, but boy, this drives me crazy. And I think you've put into some great examples. Uh, before we let you go, Jim, any other thoughts about the film that maybe uh, you, you, you can't let go of? Or do, I think we've hit a couple of big, <laughs> big problems here. Well, you don't have a half an hour, so maybe I'll have to do this on my own podcast to get, to get over it. But I, I will just say one one more quick thing, yeah, like yeah. Frozone. Now, um, you know, Frozone is this is uh, admired by everybody in the all the mortals in the Incredibles, and that's fine. But for my money, Frozone is the most useless superhero ever. I mean, especially in this in this film. I mean. They never gave him anything as cool to do as when in the original film, when he and Bob are out there, you know, doing their crime fighting um, on the down low with masks on and um, they're trapped by the cops. And and all he needs is a little glass of water to get them out of the situation using his, his superpowers. In this film, in the climax, there's this, OK, spoiler alert, there's this boat that's uh, it's not that's, you know, it's a runaway boat. It's heading toward the city. It's going to crash on land and kill a bunch of people. It's on water. And Frozone is almost completely helpless. He keeps shooting all this ice to it to no effect. It's not having any effect whatsoever. It takes Mr. Incredible to save the day. And it's like, my God, if Frozone cannot be effective out on the open water, what the heck good is he? I don't understand (laughs) why. And these are the kind of things that enter my mind as I'm watching a film that has already taken me out of the story, that I start to nitpick and criticize things. And it's a damn shame because the original Incredibles is is a perfect movie, family values, conservative um, message subversive to the liberal and PC establishment. And this film actually goes in the other direction. It wants to make it itself more woke. It makes too big a deal out of Elastigirl. She's a fantastic hero on her own. You don't have to put her up on the Me Too, pe- uh, the Me Too pedestal in order for us to admire her. It is so over the top. It is so forced upon us that it really takes you out of the story. And it's a shame they ruined this franchise. The only thing worse would be Elf 2. Oof. I agree. And by the way, I think Disney up until recently has done a pretty good job of keeping politics out of the frame. But I think that's starting to change now. I think Black Panther certainly mm-hmm. had a progressive agenda, though it was, again, a very good film. And I think you see it here. I, I you know, it's, Obviously, it's creeping into the Star Wars franchise. 
to its detriment. I, I think you're going to see more and more of this. I think it's just part of the DNA in the entertainment community, and they can't help themselves. But uh, we will be here to call them out. And, Jim, I hope to have you back on the HitCast in the very near future with more observations about pop culture. Thanks so much, and I uh, hope to hear from you soon. I do, too. And, and next time I hate a movie more than you, which will probably be next time, <laughs> I'll be right back. We'll have you right back. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. My hit tip of the week is mid-90s. It's a really sly coming-of-age story from an unexpected source, Jonah Hill. Yes, the actor Jonah Hill. He's writing and directing his skateboard-obsessed story about a young kid in L.A. who was really kind of adrift. His mom is a bit checked out. His brother, played by Lucas Hedges, is an absolute jerk and a bully of the First Order. And so the kid falls in line with a whole bunch of older teenagers around his neighborhood. They drink and they smoke and they say terrible things. They also are pretty darn good skateboarders and they accept him into their lives. He's their friend and they're his. And it's that connection which is so interesting. Now I have to say, this is not a long movie by any stretch. It kind of ends before you know it. But it has those kind of really sharp observations that make a story like this pop. Also a lot of situations where... You didn't live those exact lives like you see on the screen, but you know what? You can relate to them, and I think that's why I'm kind of looking forward to what else Jonah Hill has to say as a filmmaker. Now, mid-90s didn't do very well at the box office, but I would not be surprised if this becomes a minor cult classic at the very least, but before it's cool to watch it, watch it now. Mid-90s is out January 11th on home video. Now, let's get to this week's HitCast interview. All right, it's the 100th episode of the HitCast. I needed a very special guest to honor the occasion. Dennis Prager was the first person that came to mind. I've been listening to his radio show for years. Lately, it's not even listening. It's like almost like a bomb. It's sort of a way to understand that there are people like me who get the culture and are afraid of what's happening in it. Not just typical fear, but some of the cultural forces at work here are just nasty. And I think his complicated embrace of President Trump makes sense. And uh, I think he puts it very eloquently and uh, it's one of the many reasons why I enjoy his radio show. But of course, that's not all Dennis is up to these days. He's working on a project. It's called No Safe Spaces. It's a new documentary coming this spring that looks at the rot at the core of academia. Then college snowflakes, free speech under attack, American values being shoved out the front door. It's ugly and getting uglier. This movie is going to shed a light on all of it. Now, this isn't an ordinary documentary. The subject in play is very serious. We're seeing elements of what happens on college campuses spread out across the culture, at the workplace, in entertainment, in other areas as well. This is dangerous stuff, and I think that No Safe Spaces is going to be the one movie that really addresses it. We talk about that and a lot more, including his love of classical music. So I hope you enjoy my very special chat with Dennis Prager. Well, Dennis, thank you for joining the show. You know, thinking about No Safe Spaces, to me, I'm thinking... Was there one particular incident on campus that drove you toward this project, or was it sort of a collection of stories you heard and you reheard and you realized, I, I need to do something about this? What, what was sort of the, the initial oh, kind of push to join yeah, this project? It, it's, a, it's a collection. If it, if it were one, uh, one story, I wouldn't be preoccupied with it. Mm -hmm. you, 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 know, you can always find a story of man bites dog. But if, uh, if men are starting to bite dogs on a daily basis... <laughs> Uh, wherever men and dogs interact, that's a big deal. Uh, our universities have become uh, Stephen Pinker, who is a an atheist, liberal Harvard professor of psychology, laughingstocks. 
The left has made our universities laughing stocks. I mean, that's part of a larger issue that everything the left touches, it ruins. And, and I mean that literally everything, not liberals, but the left. And uh, it was an accumulation that made us realize, Adam Carolla and myself, that this needs to be addressed. People need to understand that the university is closed-minded. That, and that's, that's a very benign phrase for uh, much worse. It's, it, it, it is no longer committed to the pursuit of truth. It is the pursuit of social justice as the left understands it. So you've seen all these stories and you make the film, you're making the film. Do you emerge from this whole project thinking it's worse than I thought or I've met some great students who give me hope? What's sort of your, uh, I know it's not out yet, but I'm sure there's a lot of it that's in, sort of in the can, as they say. What's your sort of take on the subject having gone through this process? Both are true. It's, it's worse than I thought and uh, there is hope. They're both true. And uh, the, the hope, uh, look, I, I spoke a few weeks ago in uh, Palm Beach, Florida to 4,000, actually 3,000 students and 1,000 non-students, 4,000 people, 3,000 of whom were college students. Uh, Turning Point USA organized it. And most of them, nearly all of them, are also familiar with Prager University videos. This was a, uh, this was a remarkable thing to see. Great kids from all over the country, the most prestigious and the, and the most unknown universities, both represented. So there is hope, but right now, if I were a betting man, I would bet on the decline of the West because of, because of the left. Sometimes, I'm sorry to yeah, that. I, I, I fear that way too, but I, I guess there's always a sliver of hope. You know, when it comes to different documentaries, often if it's a Michael Moore film, you're not gonna have a single conservative voice in there or a single conservative argument. Your film has a, a several prominent people from the left, or at least left of center. Talk about that, and, and did you have any sort of common ground with these figures in the film that maybe, you know, where you disagree on a lot of things, but here's where you kind of come together? What was that experience well, like? Well, yes. Look, this is, this is my great uh, point. Uh, I don't mean that I'm making a great point, but a point of great importance. And that is the distinction between uh, left and liberal. These are not the same things. Uh, Alan Dershowitz is the is the most uh, obvious example. Uh, Alan Dershowitz is a lifelong liberal. Uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton friend and supporter, constantly votes Democrat. And he says on the, in the film, you, you folks will see it in, in no safe spaces when it comes out later this year, uh, in his apartment in Manhattan to me. Um, I'm in the film in that segment with him. And he says, oh, listen, I'm, I'm a liberal, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Jew, and I fear the, the left much more than the right. It's, a, it's such a, a telling statement, and uh, I, I think you looked at all around you. I, I think what we see in the culture these days, I guess they, they're calling it maybe the heckler's veto, where a small, small minority of people get to have their say. There was a comedian who spoke at Columbia, and a very, very small group of people basically chased him from the stage for not That's being right. woke enough. At some point, why don't we get, why doesn't the culture at large get that? I mean, don't we understand that it, it is a small minority and that they don't represent the vast majority? Why, why are we giving them such power? It is very rare that the, the minority bad do not win. 
in the long, long run of history, they lose. But, uh, you know, I'm not comparing them. And I want to make that clear. They are not the left in America is not are not Nazis. Uh, unlike they're calling us fascists every day. Uh, we don't use that terminology with them. However, I would use the example of the Nazis were a small minority and they took over. And that is because the great majority of other people are weak. The human condition is there are a handful of bad, a handful of good, and uh, a lot of people who won't fight. And, you know, what is it all that evil needs to 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 win is for is for good people to do nothing? That's that's exactly the case. The fact that the, the average American does not regard the left as a mortal threat to everything that an American should hold precious is uh, is is a uh, reason for depression. Yeah. You had an interesting comment in your show recently in your radio show about how the secrets of success is being interesting. And I was kind of curious. You've been working with Adam Carolla for a while. I saw you in, uh, in uh, L.A. a few years ago. How has he made you more interesting? Because I, I think your dynamic is fascinating. I, I do think you work well together. But as a broadcaster and as a personality, how do you think he's helped you kind of grow as, as a storyteller? Well, look, I've been doing uh, radio uh, for 35 years, so and I only know Adam for five. So I can't the the, the effect that Adam has had on me is uh, is, is not a professional effect. It, it is a human effect. Uh, he, he he gives you hope. I mean, the guy grew up in circumstances that are the antithesis of white privilege, as is probably well known. <laughs> the, I mean, they, they, they're truly the antithesis, the very opposite of what you would consider privileged circumstances. Uh, you know, I remember we were at a Beverly Hills hotel. Both of us were on a program. And he, he told me he remembers working there uh, cleaning the floors. <laughs> so uh, he's an he's an inspiration. Uh, that's that's for me. He's an inspiration, and he's also. I mean, aside from he's brilliant and and he he's the reason he is so funny. As aside from obviously he has this magnificent wit, is that he is such a great observer of the human condition. He sees he sees what is happening. I had a, a UCLA professor on my radio show. Uh, one of those who uh, refused to play for me when I conducted a Haydn Symphony with the Santa Monica Symphony Orchestra uh, in uh, in 2017 I, at the uh, at the Walt Disney Concert Hall. I, I uh, it's an avocation conducting for me, and he wouldn't play because I'm a conservative. So I actually invited him onto my show, and amazingly, he came on, and uh, it, it was really sad to to hear his arguments. Adam came on my show the next day and dissected that man's arguments in a way that was so effective. It, it was sort of a, a, a brilliant uh, uh, you know, guy who, what do they call the guys who do autopsies? The, the, he, uh, oh, um, the name is escaping me. Coroner. Yeah, uh, yeah coroner. He, he was like a, a, a sophisticated coroner. <laughs> <laughs> dissecting a dead body, you know, uh -huh. and, and, and that's what he was doing with this professor. He's just, he, he's, he's unique. So uh, to make the film with him has been a total joy. People will love the film. 
I mean, it, it's both funny and provocative and sad and uh, relentlessly interesting. Well, when the movie Gosnell came out a few weeks ago, the media essentially ignored it. Most film critics stayed away. People didn't write about it, even though there's a million different angles to write about it, and it was a fascinating topic. You know, when you first announced this particular No Safe Spaces movie, I noticed that a few media outlets wrote about it from a snarky point of view, almost as if, tisk tisk, this is not a real problem, we're going to laugh at this. You know, you would think that there are certain professions that would be all on board with what you're trying to do and trying to expose. The media is not it. How do you even explain that when you're given free expression is their, is their lifeblood? I, I, I'm stunned by that. I just thought you're free smarter than me. You, you should know. Free expression is not their lifeblood. Mm-hmm. Their lifeblood is leftist expression. Mm-hmm. They, they, the interest of the, of the New York Times in free expression is zero. Zero. Yeah. That, that it, it, it's not it's not an issue that that they they think about the if they did listen the the uh, Wall Street Journal wrote four editorials about Prager University's videos being uh, placed by Google on a restricted list and the New York Times has written nothing nothing not an article not 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 an editorial not an opinion piece nothing they don't care about free speech for conservatives. Yeah. Free speech for conservatives is to, is is to them hate speech. Therefore, and, and they don't believe in free speech for hate speech. So this is the way it works. Conservative speech equals hate speech. Hate speech does not deserve to be protected since they don't believe any longer in the First Amendment. And therefore, so unfortunately, the premise of your question is not accurate. The the lifeblood of contemporary journalism is not free speech. It is ability to uh, undo the last election in the most immediate sense and uh, to undo the West in the, in the broadest sense. When I think about your show and the cultural issues you talk about, you cover a lot of ground. And I was thinking, is there a kind of a cultural issue that's bubbling up early in 2019 that is significant, is important, but the media is not covering it or they're just kind of covering it in a very sort of uh, well, in happenstance opinion, way? Yeah. In my opinion, there's no close second to... Uh, the war on children that the left is waging by teaching them that there's no such thing as male or female. That's that's the, the New York City, as of January 1st, had a law that uh, all birth certificates will have gender, male, female, X. You could put in X. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, any parent that did that should have the child taken away because they are clearly child abusers. If you are born to parents who do not believe you have a gender when you're born, uh, you are born to very bad, sick human beings. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I can, and I state those words absolutely uh, advisedly. They are sick and bad parents who do not assign, quote, assign a gender to their child upon birth. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, it's, <laughs> it's it, 10 years ago, no one would have believed this is possible. That's how effective the left is in dominating the conversation. Well, I wonder if in 10 years from now, if we will look back and laugh at the folly or if, like, or if this would be the glory days of, of cultural maybe, conversations. Maybe so. the left-wing position that is laughed at 10 years later. Yeah. I, I want to switch gears briefly. You know, I know you love classical music. You talk about it a lot in your show. There are some people, and I, I sadly put myself in this group, who don't know a lot about classical music, and we're, we're curious about it. But at the same time, I feel a little intimidated by it. Like, I need to know more. I, I, I'm not ready for it. I, I need to have a certain base knowledge. 
for people who are in my boat, what would you recommend as sort of a starting point, a way to kind of enter without without sort of having those cultures? Well, let me tell you something. The uh, I will give you an answer, but uh, before I give you specific pieces, I you need to hear classical music live. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch an orchestra, just watching it, it will help you fall in love with classical music. It is something to see. So you should try to get a, a seat near the front, I guess, in that sense. Okay. Uh, you should also only hear uh, very accessible pieces. Beethoven's Fifth, um, any Mozart symphony, any Haydn symphony. Well, Mozart is more accessible than Haydn, even though Haydn is my favorite. Uh, but uh, you could... Uh, but if second to that, listen on a great system, a great audio system, not through earbuds. Uh, I mean, you could. I have expensive here. They are. I, mean, I have very expensive earbuds, but these are not earbuds. These are highly sophisticated, highly expensive ear- earphones. But uh, listen to uh, a good audio system. Uh, I remember. I. I. There was a kid who came to my house. He's about twenty years old. And uh, he had never heard classical music. He was totally disinterested. He was uh, he was into uh, acid uh, rock and and uh, heavy metal. And then he came into my study where I have a very very expensive six figure high six figure uh, system. And then he said, he said, this is how I know it. He said to me, you know, had I ever heard classical music through such a system. I would have fallen in love with it. Hmm. Hearing it great made it exciting. Uh, to to hear pop music through uh, you know twenty nine ninety nine uh, iPhone earbuds, you can you know you enjoy the tune and you're very you're a happy dude. But for classical music, you you need to hear the instruments. So that's the first thing, either live or a great audio system, and and then. Uh, Beethoven's Fifth, as I said, any Mozart Symphony, uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons. I think Vivaldi's Four Seasons is probably the best way to start. Mm-hmm. Well, that's excellent. I'll have links to a lot of this information in the show notes page. I had one last question. Uh, Dennis, when I was younger, I went to art school. I wanted to be an illustrator, and obviously that didn't turn out so well. But I was curious about my fellow students because I feel like the best of my fellow students were critical of themselves, didn't fall in love with their own talents and skills. I, I was kind of curious... From your perspective, you've been on the radio for such a long time. Are there still ways you think you can improve? Or are there still things that nag at you that, gosh, I wish it were better at this or that? I was kind of curious. Every day and every speech, because I speak uh, about a, 125 times a year or two, aside from radio. And uh, I, I review afterwards, what could I have done better? It's, it's so instinctive. You know, how could I have given a better answer? How have I could presented this topic better? What did I not know that that I should know? It happened today, in fact. Uh, the uh, the the number of people employed is the highest percentage ever. But the uh, but the jobless rate has also gone up. So how could the how could the unemployment rate go down and the jobless rate go up. And <clears throat> there is an answer 
And I learned it, uh, I studied it during the breaks in the show, and I, I can now explain how that's possible. I did not know that prior to the show. Mm-hmm. That was a lacuna in my economics knowledge. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, you know, it's a gap I needed to fill. Well, I love that. I love that you still have that hunger for learning and, and willingness to yeah. kind of explore. I think that just is, says volumes about what you do. Listen, uh, the czars, I studied uh, Soviet and Russian history. And Russian language, and the uh, so there was a, a guy named Pobyedinovtsev, which I think you have to know Russian just to say this guy's name right. <laughs> and uh, Pobyedinovtsev was, was the Tsar's minister of something, and he said in defending the Russian Empire, he said that which doesn't expand contracts, and I adopted that as a motto of life. That which does, for example. A marriage that doesn't improve will, in fact, deteriorate. If you don't get better, you get worse. You can't stay where you are. And that applies across the board for just about everything. So, uh, (laughs) Dennis, thank you so much for joining the HitCast. You can hear Dennis's essential radio show on stations nationwide. Read his columns at townhall.com. Check out The Rational Bible, one of many great books that Dennis has written. And get ready, of course, for No Safe Spaces coming to theaters this spring. We keep hearing it's the movie we need right now more than ever. This one actually is. Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.